Whew. Is anybody full already? Like that was, man, worship was good. Um, I hope you were sitting next to a worshiper. I mean, you might not have been sitting next to somebody who can sing well, but I can't, we can't control that, right? But man, so good. All right. I, this is, y'all, there's such a good atmosphere in the room. Um, I don't want to ruin it. <laughs> Kidding. I, I, I can't. I'm not going to do that. Um, we're in Matthew chapter 5 today. We are in week 6 of a series called When. When, what we're doing is we're walking through the Sermon on the Mount. So Sermon on the Mount starts at the beginning of chapter 5, and it goes to the end of chapter 7. Okay, you with me? So Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we're taking um, the first couple months of the year to kind of walk through that passage of Scripture. And um, so far, it's been, it's, I think it's been pretty good. We've been talking a lot about identity. Yes, that God wants us to know who we are and that that identity will fuel our activity. That's really, really important. You're going to hear more about that today. That's probably going to be a recurring theme all the way through this, this series. Um, but, but I have to warn you. So one of the things that I love about going through Scripture is that when you, if, if we say to you, we're going to go from Matthew 5 through Matthew 7, then I don't have the... the um, I was going to say the right, I, I can't choose to just like jump over passages that we'd rather not preach, right, Cause, just because they're harder. So today is, um, is, is one of those, and I want to make sure that I'm in good company before I start, okay, so y'all can help me out a little bit. This is crowd participation time and interaction. Um, don't feel bad. There's no shame, no judgment here, okay, but how many of you have from time to time had like a project, Wendy's already putting her hand up, had a project at your house, like let's say uh, the example I'll use is like a closet, and every time you open it, things start to fall out, and, and you always go, I have got to f- clean out this closet, and then you, but you shut the door really fast and walk away, and you try to ignore it until the next time you have to get something out of that closet, you open the door, things fall, and you're like, I've got to clean out the closet, but you close it, right? How many of you can relate to that? Okay, now those of you that put your hands up, of those of you that put your hands up, how many of you, after you have put it off and put it off and put it off for years, wake up one morning and you're like, it's like when you binge watch a series and you're like, I ain't going to sleep. I'm not going to use the bathroom. I'm not going to eat until that thing is done. And you try doing one day what you put off for years. Anybody relate to that? Okay. Good. Because that's what we're going to do this morning. Okay. What we're going to do this morning is we're going we're gonna to read Matthew chapter 5. Verses 37 to 42, and this is a passage of Scripture where Jesus talks about some things that are really, really hard. Now, just to make sure you understand why this is such a difficult thing, um, I told you as we look at this this whole chapter 5 for for the rest of the month that what we're going to see Jesus do is he's going to start six times and he's going to say the same thing. He's going to say, you heard it said, and he's going to say a command right from the Old Testament, and then he's going to say, but now what I'm saying is, and he's going to raise the, the bar, right? This is not foreign to you if you've been with us for the series. This is what he's been doing, right? So last week, we did the first one. And remember, he said, now you've heard it said, thou shalt not commit murder. And he said, but what I say is, and he talks about angry words and anger in the heart. And if you're angry with somebody, call them a fool. All these things that make us think of Walmart, right? So if, if we do those things, he says, if you do that in your heart, it's just like you kill them. Like he equated anger with murder. And I remember I told you last week, the best part about last week was that when we started the bar down here with thou shalt not murder, I felt pretty good like none of us had done that. Right? Are we still good? Did you kill anybody this week? 
But now, now check this out. This is really, really important, okay? And I'm not preaching today, okay? I'm not preaching. I don't say that because I'm scared. I say that because this is a, this is a topic that we're just going to have a chat. Can we just have a conversation about the Bible, okay? Because this week when, I, when Jesus says, thou shalt not, and he lays the bar out down here, statistically speaking, half of us have not met that standard. Because he's going to say, thou shalt not commit adultery. And you should not get a divorce. And statistically speaking, see how the, the atmosphere just changed a little bit, didn't it? We all sucked our breath in like, <gasps> statistically speaking, half of us in the room can't even say we met that standard. And he's going to take it to another level. And so th- this morning, I just want you to know that that our heart is just to, to read Scripture, to talk through what Jesus is really saying, and to help you understand, like, maybe it's deeper than what you even think it is, okay? Are we on the same page? So what we're going to do is I'm going to read Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 to 32, and the whole time I'm reading it, here's how you're going to feel, especially if you've been affected in, in those two areas. You're going to feel like we just opened up that closet at your house, and stuff's going to start falling out a little bit. And you're going to want to close the door really fast. And I'm going to be the one holding the door open a little longer than you want. Okay? But it's okay. Right? Turn to the person next to you and say, I love you. Didn't sound as convincing as I was hoping, but we're going we're gonna to roll with it. Okay? There we go. Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. Jesus is talking, and here's what he says. You have heard that it was said... You shall not commit adultery. This is the low standard down here, right? But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. How serious does Jesus take it? Verse 29. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown to hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. As the people that he was talking to were trying to catch their breath, he continued. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. Now, this really quickly, this goes back to the days of Moses. And Moses, um, they, had, they had this certificate of divorce. And it started out as... Like, if you really wanted to get a divorce, you would just hand your wife that, and that meant that it was over. But it, and you could have a valid cause in your mind, but it, what it turned into was if, if she just, if the eggs were cold, if she scrambled the eggs, and you like eggs over medium, which is the best way, by the way, to have eggs, you could give her a certificate of divorce. If she just looked at, and this never happens, if she just looked at you wrong, you could be like, I mean, it's not, he, it had gotten to the point where the people that Jesus was talking to, it's almost like they carried around certificates of divorce in their pocket. Just to have them ready to, to just end it if the woman did something that they didn't like. So while this is going to sound really, really harsh, and it's gonna, it is going to be a hard message, okay? But it's okay. You'll be okay. What Jesus is really doing here, and I love this, is he's valuing women. He's like, dudes. You're throwing them away like property. And he's going to say, listen, verse 32, but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. That very thing he was just talking about a couple of verses earlier. That's so bad you should cut your eye out or your hand off. 
And he says, if you, do, if you just hand out certificates of divorce, then you're actually causing her to be a victim of that really bad thing we just talked about. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. That is a closet that we don't like to open, okay? So what we're going to do is we're going to binge clean, okay? Instead of dividing us up in a couple weeks, we're just going to tackle it all right now. And I'm going to pray for you, and while I'm praying for you, you pray for me, and then we'll just jump into it. Father, right now in your name, Jesus, I thank you for your word that brings life, God. And I pray right now against um, the enemy who loves to chatter in our ear. I, I pray today, God, that while we listen to your word, man, it would just quiet his voice. In your name, Jesus, amen, amen. All right, so here's the deal, right? So we talk about murder, we feel pretty good, but now we talk about adultery and divorce, and we go, huh, it's a little different, right? So I want to read some things right up front, two verses for you right up front. Romans 8, chapter 1. Therefore, there is no condemnation, no, none, zilch, nada, for those who are in Christ Jesus. What does it mean to be in Christ Jesus? It means that you have placed your faith in what he did on the cross, you're trusting him that when he says that you're a new creation, that you are actually new. You're trusting that what he says about you is true because of his work on the cross, not because of your good or bad behavior. All right? That's what it means to be in Christ Jesus. So if that's you, raise your hand. That means if you're in the 50 percentile of people that have been on the bad side of adultery and divorce, and I'm just talking about statistics, right, in the church, not in the world, in the church, and you're in Christ, there's no condemnation today. Hallelujah for that, right? Now, if we, if we stop there, it'd be great, but we, I have to keep going, right? <laughs> so I'm like the doctor. Does that hurt? Does that hurt? Does that hurt? 2 Timothy chapter 3. So there's no condemnation in Christ, but there is correction in Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. says this, all Scripture, which means those five verses we just read, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That's that thing that we're supposed to have, right? Unless your righteousness exceeds the Pharisees. That's what Jesus said earlier. Why? Verse 17. So that the servant of God, raise your hand if you're a servant of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So what Jesus is talking about here, the reason that the Bible corrects us it's not to shame us, you're a terrible person, but because he's making us into better people. He's correcting us because he actually has works for us to do, and he doesn't want you just to have some of what you need. He wants you to have all of what you need, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the goal of today, this is, this is so key, is not to beat anybody in here up over the past. But to learn some truth from Scripture that will keep us from repeating it. And how many of you would like to not repeat the past? Yeah, me too, right? Even, honestly, even the good stuff. I, I don't know that I want to re even repeat that. I'm not sure I have the energy for it, right? I just want to learn something today and, go, and just go forward. So today, that's the whole point, is to learn from this Scripture what we need to know to go forward. All right. So Jesus is going to do a lot of digging, and he's going to dig and dig and dig and dig and dig until he gets to the heart of the matter. And the heart, the heart, this thing right here, the heart, that's the heart of the matter. 
That's what Jesus is after, okay? He's trying to get to the heart. Your heart is the heart of the matter. The things that we really think, that we really believe, that we really feel, that's what he's trying to get us to. He wants us to see that our hearts have got to be pure. He doesn't want us to have some dirt down in there. He wants them to be pure. And the only way for that to happen is for him to actually get in there and see what's going on, right? So that's what he's doing today. So if you're here and you start to feel, and I'm, listen, I'm just, stamping on, I'm just stamping out Satan, okay? If you start to feel that, like, like that's, that, hey, your chest gets tight and it's hard to breathe, like you like, everybody's looking at me. Listen, here's the deal. If you're in Christ, there's no shame anymore. Anymore. There's only freedom. There's only freedom, right? And so he is going to dig into that part of our heart. The heart is the heart of the matter. So, um, last week we read about that deeper call, right? He said, hey, unless your righteousness exceeds the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were those guys, if you weren't with us, that they had like all these like 618 rules in the Old Testament, and they had rules to explain the rules, and they knew all of them, right? And so Jesus said, and unless your, your righteousness exceeds those guys, and they actually tried to obey all those, I, I can't even keep up with three sometimes, Right? He said, if it doesn't exceed that, you can't see the kingdom. And everybody that listened to it, they're like you and me. They're like, how in the world am I going to exceed those people? And he said, because I'm after your heart. They were, they were content to be righteous on a surface level, to look the part but not be the part. And he's after the heart. I said this last week. I'll say it a lot more as we go through the series. The goal of Christianity is not behavior modification. It is heart transformation. Always the heart. He's always after the heart. He's always after the heart. And why is that? Why would God want us to be pure in our hearts? You don't know this, but we've already read the answer. It's in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. It's one of the Beatitudes. And Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart because they will see God. He doesn't want you to be pure so you'll be miserable. He wants you to be pure so you'll see him. That's the goal. Pure hearts see God. Divided hearts will not. So today we want to talk about divided and undivided hearts. I want you to have an undivided heart with the Lord. And apparently this is a big deal to God. Here's three scriptures. We could have picked more, but let's start with these three. Psalm 8611, the psalmist says this. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Divided hearts, undivided hearts live in awe of God. Ezekiel chapter 11, verses 19 through 21. God's prophesying, he says this, I will give them an undivided heart, and I'll put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. That's a great verse to memorize. Then they will follow my decrees and, my, and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people, and I will be their God. So when we have an undivided heart that's a heart of flesh, we tend to follow what God does. And I want you to see the progression again, right? I'll say this over and over until you're sick of it. Identity fuels activity. So he gives them a new identity, and then he says, now you're going to follow my decrees. Religion says, do the right thing, and maybe you'll become a better person. But Jesus says, I made you a new person. Now you'll do the right things. Okay? Now look at verse 21. But as for those whose hearts are devoted to the vile images and de detestable idols, in other words, those who have a divided heart, I'll bring down on their own heads what they have done. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. 
One more example of what undivided hearts can do. Paul says this, I hope you will put up with me a little in, in a little foolishness. Yes, please put up with me. I think I'm going to start reading that every Sunday before I preach. <laughs> I just think that's fantastic that Paul wrote that, and that's how I feel every time I preach right there. Please put up with me. Verse 2, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband to Christ so that I might present you as a pure, there's the word, virgin to him. Verse 3, but I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds have somehow been led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. In other words, you've become divided in your devotion. Verse 4, for if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. The only real example I can give you here to make sure you get this is, have you ever been so unsure about what your opinion was that you would talk to somebody who had one opinion and you'd walk away going, yeah, I agree with that. And then you could have a conversation with somebody else who had the exact opposite opinion and you'd be like, oh, I agree with that. And then you talk to the other person again. Oh, that, yeah, that's, that's really what, I, ah, that's a good point. That's what Paul's saying here. He's saying your heart is so divided. You've bought into the lie so much that, that you'll hear a different gospel and you'll, and you'll put up with it. When what you should say is, that's not truth. You should, you should kick it to the curb, right? Because it's not true. And he says, but you put up with it because you have a divided heart. So you can really start to see this progression, right, that happens when our hearts get divided. And that's why here in our passage in Matthew, Jesus is focusing so hard on the heart. Here's the way I said it in the big idea. Simple, a divided heart leads to a compromised life. A divided heart leads to a compromised life. Now here, let me tell you what the church has done, and maybe you've been a victim of this. Traditionally, the church would take a passage like ours today that talks about adultery and divorce, and they would hammer you over the head about how bad adultery and divorce is, and it's bad. But what Jesus is doing is he's saying this. Listen, y'all, that's not the problem. That's a symptom of the problem. The problem is right here. This is the problem. The heart is the heart of the matter. And so he's going to keep digging and digging until we get that. He wants us to see how a divided heart tends to separate things. So external from internal, right? Pharisees were about external righteousness, and he wants us to be from the inside out. A divided heart tends to do this. Well, I worshiped God on Sunday, so I can do whatever I want for myself Monday through Saturday. That's what a divided heart does. An undivided heart says, I'm always Jesus's all the time. Right? A divided heart sees work as one thing and worship as another. A divided heart compartmentalizes our lives. When Jesus wants to be Lord 24-7, 365. Right? So when we divide our hearts up, we tend to compartmentalize. <laughs> Listen, I'm not saying you've ever done this, but I have. I've found myself singing hands in the air, lyrics to a worship song that were directly in contradiction to how I was living my life. And I was okay with it because I really love the song, right? That happens when we compartmentalize, when we divide our hearts. And Jesus is like, look, when you do that, 
You'll start to see something is okay and some things is not okay when all of it comes from the same place. Let me give you some examples, okay? Back in our, in our passage, Jesus talks about adultery and talks about divorce. So here's how you get to the place that he's trying to prevent us from getting to. A divided heart sees sex. Everybody take a deep breath. Hold it for a second. A little longer. I'm waiting on you to pass out so I can continue. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. Like, sex is one of those words you're not supposed to say loud in the South. <laughs> Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that people do that? What are you talking about? Sex. What? Sex. Saxophones? What? Just say it. It's a three-letter word, sex. Everybody say sex. sex. Okay, good. We're not even talking about it, but I wanted you to get out of the way. Here we go. Because adultery does, there, that's part of it. It can be part of it, right? So just check this out. A divided heart sees sex as only physical. Right? Now, I'm not here today to do a teaching on sex. We have done a series in the past called Sex Ed. I would highly recommend you find it in our archives and listen to it. It'll blow you away what God thinks about sex. Sex. Right? But here's one of the statements that I made in that series. Now, now follow me. Okay? This is, just, just listen to this. If sex was only physical, prostitution would be the world's most popular job. But it's not. You know why? Because it's not just physical. It's emotional, it's spiritual, it's every part of who we are gets attached in that moment. And the reason why Jesus is saying, hey, you've heard it said just don't commit adultery, is because the Pharisees, they were like, hey, as long as you don't do that one specific thing, everything will be cool, right? They, they, divided, what was, they divided the physical from the heart. And what God, Jesus is saying is like, don't divide those two, right? And here's what happens. Now, listen, I'm not trying to bring up bad memories. just want to make sure that you get this, okay? Anybody in the room who's been on the wrong side of an affair, and I say this with sensitivity, okay? Anybody who's been on the wrong side of an affair, you already know this is true. And here's how I know. Because you heard the person that cheated on you say to you at some point, I didn't even love them. I love you. And you said back to them words we can't say right now. Because you knew it wasn't true. And what they were trying to say is, but my heart's with you. But, like, that was just a thing. Yeah, it was a thing. It was a thing that involved your heart. Because it's not just physical. And when we divide those things, we'll end up doing things that we say they're just physical. No, they're not. They involve all of who you are. That involves your entire person, everything. Second thing, he talks about divorce. A divided heart begins to see marriage as only transactional. And so when that happens, we have a, a contract instead of a covenant. Or I would say we have a happiness contract instead of a holiness covenant. So we start to say things like, well, you're not really making me happy. I'm out. 
Now, I'm also not here to talk about divorce, okay? But if you'd like to hear a message about divorce that's going to be different than any of you even think it would be, we have a series we did called Wait What? And one of those sermons was about divorce. Look it up. It's, it's powerful. The issue here, though, that Jesus is after is not, have you committed adultery and are you divorced? The issue he's after is that we would recognize the progressive nature of sin that starts in the heart and ends in our lives. Okay? That's what he's after. James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15 says this, But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin when it is full grown gives birth to death. That's that, that progression, right? So he says you have a desire, it leads to sin, and that leads to death. Okay, I'm going to go back to our passage in, in Matthew 5, and I'm going to use some really um, cheesy phrases, a cheesy phrase here, like really cheesy words. It's okay, I give you permission to groan when I'm done, okay? This is really cheesy, but I hope it sticks. Just show you the progression. So Jesus says, gazing, remember he said in verse 28, if you look with your eyes, gazing turns into grazing, and then the fire's blazing. It's okay. You can groan. It's terrible. It's terrible. I know. It's terrible. It's terrible. You're going to wake up in the middle of the night saying that, and you'll be like, oh, I can't get out of my head. I can't get out of my head, right? But let's just follow the progression, okay? Now, we're just going to use um, an affair because we can all relate to this, right? So this would be, um, I have to, it's just so I can't look at anybody else. But it's pretty like we're not married for a second. I'm gazing at Wendy. I look. Oh, God, she's beautiful. Wow, I mean, God, you did an amazing job. God's like, she's not yours, but she's beautiful. And I'm just looking, just gazing. That's all it is. But then gazing, the progressive nature of sin is gazing turns into grazing. Which <laughs> sounds like I'm a cow, but hang with me. <laughs> what I mean by that is he says, in the, he says if your eye causes you to stumble, cut it out. Because the eye is the gateway. And then he says if your hand causes you to stumble, because the hand is what acts. Okay, that's, that's, that's the progression. That's why I picked hand and eye. So I start to graze on, I start to think things like, oh, she comes to work at 8. I'm going to start getting up earlier. I'm going to be, I start to graze on it. I, start, I think about it all the time. I'm thinking about her all the time. She's not mine, but I'm thinking like, what if she was? And that's how affairs start. And before you know it, I'm ablaze, right? My heart is inflamed for her. And maybe we get together, maybe we don't. But what Jesus is saying is, dude, you've already done it. You've already committed adultery in your heart. And that's what he wants to deal with. That's the progressive nature of sin in the heart. That's why Jesus wants to get to the heart of the matter. And we have finally gotten there. Finally some good news. Somebody say amen. Is everybody breathing still? Everybody good? Okay, here we go. So God wants us to guard our hearts, and there's this great passage in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, and here's what it says. Above all else. Everybody say that with me. Above all else, guard your heart. So the Hebrew word for guard, here's what it means. Are you ready? Guard. <laughs> I had to look that up. 
It means to watch, to preserve, to keep, to guard. It, it literally carried the idea of keeping watch over a vineyard. Now, why would you want to keep watch over a vineyard? Because little foxes, right? Because Song of Solomon 2.15 says that the little foxes are what come in and ruin the vineyard. I, I'm not a gardener. Anybody a gardener? You garden? Like you grow things and they live? Yeah. I grow things and they cry out for help, right? <laughs> Send me to Ziggy's garden, you know. Um, but if, if I worked hard in a garden, if I, if I had a garden and worked hard in it, do you know what, I, what else I would own? A gun. I would shoot squirrels, foxes, you. <laughs> okay, no. The point here is, if I worked hard at a garden, then I would want to protect that garden because what that garden's going to produce needs to be protected. And so what, what, the, what the person in Proverbs is saying is this. He says, guard your heart. Why? Because your version might say it's the wellspring of life. So what he's saying is, look, you're, it, just picture a well, right? So when people, your heart's a well, when people reach down in that well and, and I pulled out a scoop, he says, there's fresh water there, man. It's good water, right? But what he's saying now is if we don't guard our hearts, then junk can get in there. You start to share your heart with somebody, and you're like, hey, I want to give you some of my heart. And you pull it out, and they're like, ooh, ooh, oh, I don't want that, right? He's saying guard your heart because that's where life is. And if you don't guard your heart, then that life, you, you can't give it away. So what I want you to get this morning is that nothing matters more than guarding your heart. Nothing matters more. Not church attendance, not reading, like your, whatever checklist of verses you feel like you have to read. Like we can all process it in our head and never let it get to our heart. Nothing matters more than guarding your heart. So I'm going to give you three super practical suggestions about how to guard your heart, okay? Here we go. Number one, guard your heart. By controlling your eyes. It all started with the eyes, didn't it? Jesus said, whoever looks on a woman, it starts with the eyes. So guard your heart by controlling your eyes. Job 31.1 says, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. Man, can I just encourage you to make a covenant with your eyes? Um. So Wendy's family is from Columbia. Y'all know that. Irmo, the home of the okra strut. Yeah. Go okras. Woo. Um, we'd always load up the car and go down and visit her family. And so to get to, get to Columbia, you go down 77. Like you get on 26. And then you get on 20. Like I said, you get on 77. <laughs> to get to Columbia, you put Wendy in the car. <laughs> And you say, which way? <laughs> 77, 20, 26. There we go. Okay. I, I could do it with my eyes closed, but I just can't tell you, right? But as you're going down 20, there was always this big Hooters billboard on the left side of the road. And so I always drove past it like this. <laughs> Wendy, is it gone? <laughs> She's like, yeah, it's gone. So, but because I asked her one time. Like, Wendy, I mean, what, what do you think about when you see the Hooters billboard? 
and she said, and I think, I think our, Sydney wasn't even born yet. The, the boys were like three years old. And they're in the back seat doing whatever the three-year-olds do in the back seat, you know. And she said, oh, it's degrading to women. And Will said, what's degrading? I'll let Wendy answer that question, right? <laughs> because it mattered to me what the love of my life thought about that son. And because of what she said, I don't look at the son. Now, listen, um, I want to make this really clear. Some of us will watch anything. Because it matters more to us to be relevant to the people that we work with and go to school with than it does to be pure with God. So I don't say this to brag. I'm just trying to give you some practical highlights. I've never seen a Victoria's Secret commercial on TV because I will <laughs> turn and have a conversation with Wendy until it's gone, right? Or I will get up and go to the other room. I am... Very happy to be the only person in the civilized world who did not see the halftime show of the Super Bowl. I don't need to, right? I don't need J-Lo. I got Wendy. I, I think sometimes we'll sit through a, a movie with all kinds of garbage because we're afraid to be the only people in the room who can't talk about it. I've made a covenant with my eyes. You, you do what you want. But it matters to me that my heart would be pure. And you can call me a prude. I don't care. I'm going to see God. Right? Because that's what I want. And Jesus says, control your heart by controlling your eyes. Guard your heart by controlling your eyes. I've learned this lesson to be true. I don't do it right all the time. But you know when the best time is to stop sinning? Before you start. So control your eyes. Um. I'll let you apply this however you need to apply it. But I don't look at that stuff because I have, I have fought through a porn addiction in my life. I'm not going to go back to that. There's nothing there for me. And, and if you struggle in that area, men or women, you struggle with Internet porn, I have a really simple solution. It's not a simple solution. It's just a tip. Put your computer in the family room. Only get on it when the kids are around. Give your wife your phone. I mean, all those are just behaviors, right, that can change. But, and they won't do a thing until your heart says, I want to be pure. But when your heart says, I want to be pure, you'll be amazed at the steps you'll take to get pure. And it'll all start right here. Control your eyes. They are the window to your soul. You are becoming what you let in. Proverbs 4.25, when he said to guard your heart, two verses later he said, let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Guard your heart by controlling your eyes. Second, second practical way to guard your heart. Trust overcomes lust. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. All your heart. Undivided heart, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. When I was writing that verse down in my notes, I felt like I, felt like I, was, I was asking myself these three questions, okay? I'll ask myself this, and you can ask yourself this. Do I trust that God is with me even when I don't have what I'm, like I'm lusting after something that I wish I had? In that moment, do I trust that God is with me? Do I trust that God knows what I need even more than I do? 
And do I trust that what I need is greater than what I want? So lust says, I want her, right? David sends all the, king, all the kings out to war, and he's supposed to be going to war, but he doesn't. He stays on, on back in, in Jerusalem, and he's out on the deck, and he sees Bathsheba. And the Bible says that he saw her, and he wanted her for himself. That's lust. I want you no matter what the cost is, even though you're not mine, I'm taking you. That's lust. And trusting God in that moment would help, wouldn't it? To say to God, you know what, I trust that what you have actually given to me is mine. And I'm going to trust you in that more than lust after those things. Listen to this statement. Lust looks for greener pastures. Trust looks for God to water the pastures we have. Number three. We're coming to a close. All right. I feel like I want to just sit down and have a conversation on this one, right? Because I really want you to see me and just look at me. I want you to hear my heart, okay? So this is the, the pastor side of me, the friend side of me coming out. I just want you to know this to be true. Simple truths do not mean simple solutions, okay? Because like I said, there's a lot of people in this room that have been affected by this conversation, and so I believe this. I believe that we're talking about simple truths. I believe that when we say I've made a covenant not, not to look at something with my eyes, that's a simple truth. You can just get up and turn the TV off, not go see that movie, walk out even after you paid for it. They're, those are simple truths, but they're not simple solutions. If you've been hurt in this area, if you need healing and recovery, recovery, here's what you'll find. Man, it takes longer than we want and it's harder than we think to recover from compromise. That's why God would like us to not compromise on the front end because he knows to recover from compromise is a much longer road. And there are some of you in this room that, that you, you can relate to that. Compromise comes at a high price. But the truth and the solutions still point us to Jesus. Listen, the law, that thing that Jesus keeps pointing back to, he says, hey, you've heard it said don't murder. You've heard it said don't commit adultery. That's the law, right? You, you know what I'm saying? Uh, Old Testament law. Still valid, but it's the law. And he came to fulfill it, not to do away with it. But the reason the law was there was to point people to Jesus. The reason it was there was so that you and I, in this moment right now, we would say something like this. Oh, God, how can I do that? And he would say, exactly. You need Jesus. So this morning, as we wrap this up, I want to point you to Jesus. He's the only one that can truly mend a fractured heart. Psalm 147, verse 3 says this about God. He heals the brokenhearted. So when you hear the word brokenhearted, what we tend to think of, it's like, you know, somebody who's been through a, a hard time and now they're hurting. And that's true. But this morning, we're talking about divided hearts. We're talking about hearts that are broken. And the God that we serve, it says right there, He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up the wounds. He brings pieces of the heart back together and makes them an undivided heart. And that's what He wants to do this morning in you and in me. So here's how I want us to close this morning. I want to just read, and I'm going to read them because I don't want to mess them up. I know God gave these to me for us right now. I want to read some healing words over you, okay? I want you to close your eyes. 
You don't have to do anything. Just listen. Because I know right now that there are people in the room and your lives have been affected by somebody else compromising in this area. They've been affected by maybe you compromising in this area. So I want you to listen to these three statements. Number one, there can be a lot of shame attached to past failures in these areas, but the cross eradicates shame. Number two, it's easy to feel like a victim in these areas, but the resurrection empowers victors. And number three, please hear this. In a way that only he can, God can love us in every situation we're in without loving every situation we're in. He loves you this morning. He loves you. If you're sitting here right now today and you're not recovering from an affair in the heart, you're actually in it. He loves you in that situation without loving that situation. He wants your heart back. Our, our culture doesn't know how to have that distinction. We say, hey, if you love me, that means you love everything that I do. But God's like, no, I love you. I don't love everything that you do. And it doesn't lessen his love for us. And his heart is for you this morning. And I want you to see the goodness and the grace of God that leads us to repentance. And I would simply encourage you this morning, and we're all going to do this together, to bring your broken heart to the only one who can make it whole again. And here's how we're going to do it. I'm going to, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand, and I'm going to pray a prayer over you. And then the, the praise band is going to lead us in that chorus that we sang at the end of praise. The praise is yours, Right? The praise is yours. Because, and I love this about God, sometimes the mess is ours, right? But when we give it to Him and He mends it, the praise is His. Because we're like, we could never pull that off, only He could. And, and listen, in this moment, as we close this morning, in this moment, there is healing for you. There is healing for your hurting heart and your broken heart. And there is a call, and I hope it's a clear call, for you to come back to the place of having an undivided heart to the Lord. So would you all stand with me? And I'm going to ask you to do this. This is going to feel weird, okay? Would you put your hands together like this? And would you just imagine putting your heart in that, just in that cup of your hands? And for some of you, your heart looks fantastic, right? just be, beaten nice and healthy and for some of you that heart is smashed and broken and I'm just going to ask you just to close your eyes and we just lift that to the Lord and let me just pray this simple prayer over you as you raise your heart to the Lord here's my heart Lord take it heal it and then help me to guard it well in your name Jesus